The Carter family is the most famous and influential family band in all of country music. And they owe it all to a black man. Leslie Riddle grew up in Kingsport, Tennessee. At age 14, he lost his leg in a cement plant accident. Years later, he lost several fingers in a shootout. At this point, he could no longer do physical work, so he picked up the guitar. It was around this time that he met A.P. Carter, who founded the Carter Family Band that most country listeners are familiar with today. Carter noticed that Riddle not only had an exceptional finger-picking technique, but also an extraordinary memory. So he took him on several trips around the American South to collect folk songs. Leslie Riddle literally saved these songs in his brain. He arranged them and gave them to the Carter family to record. The Carter family became national treasures and Riddle faded into obscurity. The Carter family's music influenced everyone from Pete Seeger to Joan Baez to Johnny Cash to Bob Dylan. Buried beneath the surface of a white establishment, here lies a man with one leg and a few fingers who simply loved songs. Leslie Riddle committed the foundation of American country music to memory. The least we can do is remember him. My name is Micah McKee. I'm a songwriter. And this is American 100. Broadcasting from the musical center of the universe into the vast stretches of the universe, this is American 100. Welcome to American 100, the show where we discuss the vast and not-so-random beauty of pop music. This is my trusted robot companion, Rando. Hello. And at the end of every episode, Rando randomly selects two spots and a year from the Billboard Year End Hot 100 chart for us to discuss for the following episode. And at the end of the last episode, Rando selected the year 1962 and the numbers 23 and 44, which correlate with Twistin' the Night Away by Sam Cooke and Baby It's You by The Shirelles. So without further ado, let's go way back in time and discuss these hits that came out in the year 1962. This is the most famous production from the dark tumultuous mind of Phil Spector. Spector is, of course, famous primarily for his wall of sound, the production style associated with the great girl groups of the 1960s, and later with albums by John Lennon and George Harrison. 
But what happens when you build a wall made of materials that you can see right through? Organic materials, feathery and lightweight, but with all the integrity of a Spectre production. This was the mission of Luther Dixon, a songwriter and producer who dealt in similar creative currency as Phil Spector, but championed a much more delicate approach. Luther Dixon pressed his first musical footprints into the world of doo-wop with the band adorably called The Four Buddies. Luther Dixon's writing style isn't showy, but even at this early stage in his career, it was extraordinarily expressive. The Four Buddies would disband in 1955, but Luther kept writing. As popular music evolved, so did Luther and he braved the new frontiers of rock and roll. This is one of Luther Dixon's biggest songwriting credits, Why Baby Why, performed by Pat Boone. Now, for all of the criticism that white artists in the 1950s and early 1960s get for appropriating black music, Pat Boone probably deserves that criticism the most. A staunch conservative, Pat Boone routinely covered music by black artists and watered it down for white audiences, making untold millions in the process. Luther Dixon's Why Baby Why showed glimpses of an expanding color palette of musical paints, but it was ultimately hamstrung by bland production. Dixon's next big songwriting credit, however, would allow him to truly showcase his talent, because this song would be performed by one of American music's most prodigious talents. I've been yearning for a little romance. I wanna know when you're gonna give me a chance. Love me, honey, tell me you're Oh, don't you think it's time? Now, this is more like it. If there was a white male vocalist in 1958 who could successfully reinterpret the nuances of black R&B compositions, it was Elvis Presley. In addition to being an exceptional performer, Elvis was also an exceptional listener. And his rendition of Luther Dixon's short and sweet composition opened the doorway for Dixon to break into the world of music production and have a deeper role in his music reaching the right ears and the right performers. I still love you Just like I did before But before you smile And walk through the door this song is one of Luther Dixon's most searingly beautiful achievements, I Don't Want to Cry, performed here by Chuck Jackson. It falls right in line with Dixon's modus operandi, to make the listener feel something by bombarding them with a wall of emotion, a wall built with simple lyrics, simple melodies, but powerful sentiment, and staggering sincerity. 
Chuck Jackson, the performer of this song, happened to be one of the first black artists to interpret the work of Burt Bacharach. Along with Hal David, Bacharach wrote some of the most influential pop hits of the classic era, many of them for the unmistakable Dionne Warwick. Bacharach has a strange musical mind. His chord progressions are pretty atypical of traditional R&B and pop tunes. The way his melodies unfold is unpredictable. Sometimes Bacharach's verses are longer or shorter than they are expected to be. Often his songs progress rather quickly moving through moods and motifs with a shape-shifting ease and a dark tenderness. And it's the team-up between Burt Bacharach and our hero Luther Dixon that leads us here to the number 67 spot on the Billboard Year and Hot 100 of 1962. Famously covered by the Beatles, Baby It's You was performed originally by the Shirelles, one of the premier girl groups of the early 1960s. The Shirelles were named for its leader, Shirley Owens, and under the custodianship of Luther Dixon, they achieved success with a string of mystifying classics. What can I do? Dixon's production hallmarks that he honed over the many years are all here. The elegant arrangements, the unassuming glow of his melodic sensibilities. But guided by the songwriting style of Burt Bacharach, he is able to achieve something truly special. Bacharach's use of unusual verse structures was distinctive in his pop songwriting, and this phantasmic technique fit in perfectly with Dixon's approach of saying a whole lot by actually showing you very little and letting the composition breathe on its own. In fact, Bacharach's original title for this song was I'll Cherish You, but Luther Dixon thought the chorus and title should be simpler and cut to the bone. Baby, it's you. Baby, it's you. In the 1960s, the girl group sound was marked by booming reverbs and the shimmering clank of tambourines. And part of this would become associated with Phil Spector's wall of sound. But across the same hall, there was a different wall. A wall that Luther Dixon built with the Shirelles, where he synthesized doo-wop, R&B, Bacharach's misty progressions, and a touch of otherworldly brilliance. Burt Bacharach and Luther Dixon had created a classic, and Baby It's You was covered by dozens of artists down the line. Because when a song is this good and this mysterious, you want to try it on for yourself just to see how it works. Coming up, a master of elevation, 
You're listening to American 100. Hey folks, thanks for listening to American 100. I'm Micah McKee and I wrote the original music for this show and produced it along with Asher Griffith. And if you like content like this, then uh, think about dropping something in our jar. Head over to patreon.com slash cicada radio. Even a pledge of as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. We do this show because we love music and we love radio. So head to patreon.com slash cicada radio and uh, help us out if you can. Thanks. Sam Cooke's life was all about elevation. At one time, he was America's biggest crossover pop star and simultaneously struggled to elevate himself above the bigotry that not even he, a black man adored by white audiences, could avoid. His life was plagued with grief and hardship, yet he used his music to transcend the rigors of the tragedy that surrounded him. And as a singer and songwriter, Sam Cooke took popular music to new heights, pushing through the atmosphere undaunted. He began in the church, as so many great soul singers from the classic era did. With the power of the Spirit and using his uncanny natural ability, Sam Cooke took gospel standards to the next level. He brought a tangibility to songs that were otherwise concerned with biblical parables and matters of the Spirit. The Soul Stirrers were the first professional musical group Sam Cooke ever joined, and they specialized in gospel. This song, Jesus Gave Me Water, is the earliest known recording of Sam Cooke with his first band. The wisdom and maturity in Sam's voice gave him the ability to totally transform these gospel compositions, and his youth and vigor gave him the strength and power to attract young audiences to the music that was ultimately responsible for blues, R&B, and rock and roll. This is Smoke Rings, written by Ned Washington and Gene Gifford. And in 1951, it was a reasonably well-known jazz standard. 
Here, it's being performed by Mary Ford and her husband, Les Paul. Yes, that Les Paul. As hypnotic as this production is, it lacks the emotion, the solitude, and the wonder that the lyrics imply. Now listen to what Sam Cooke does with it. Smoke rings I blow each Almost instantly, the first thing that I notice is the line, Where do they go? And the way Sam perfectly sings it like a question. Notice how he repeats the word above to illustrate the smoke rings rising into the air. To picture a dream above, 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 above. Then why do they... This isn't just the work of a singer. It's the work of an artist. And one of the hallmarks of his artistic genius was squeezing a wide range of emotion into tiny spaces. Just listen to how he articulates the word rings a word that just has one syllable in the English language. That's six syllables, and by extending that word, he packs that line with so much intention and so much emotion. If you were to play those six notes that he sings in the word rings all at once, it would sound like this. Lovely. The smoke rings are on a high. Oh, where are they held? When they kiss the By the time RCA Victor signed Sam Cooke in January 1960, he was already a national sensation. Many titles were bestowed upon him. Mr. Soul, King of Soul, and even the man who invented soul. While Sam Cooke didn't actually invent soul music, it's pretty clear that he comprehended soul music better than most folks. This is a minor key rendition of Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen by the legendary South Carolina gospel group, the Dixie Hummingbirds. It's gorgeous and haunting, no doubt, but Sam Cooke's version does something really interesting. It gives the listener hope. His voice is still ever so slightly dipped and melancholy, but his tone is that of someone who believes that there must be better times ahead. 
This is a bold move, and it's a bold opener to one of his best albums, 1963's Night Beat. Another brilliant turn from Mr. Soul himself. Still, Sam Cooke was not immune to the trends and fads dominating the cultural landscape at the beginning of the 1960s. And there was one dance craze that required his attention, the twist. Chubby Checker's version of the twist thrust the dance into the national zeitgeist but it was by no means the first and only song to reference Twisted. You can trace the dance back to Jelly Roll Morton, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz. He wrote the line, Mama, Mama, look at sis, she's out in the levee doing the double twist. Decades later, after this terminology had long been in the black popular consciousness, Hank Ballard would record the song of the twist and Chubby Checker's cover would make the dance a household name. Sam Cooke eventually wanted in on the action and the result is an original composition and the number 23 song on the Billboard year-end Hot 100 of 1962. Almost irreverently, Sam Cooke borrows the techniques that he learned in church and from his time with his gospel group, The Soul Stirrers. He carries with him all the expression and power of a preacher, booming proclamations from the pulpit. The band on this recording is, of course, the legendary Wrecking Crew, session musicians that have played on countless rock and soul albums from the classic era. And the rhythmic propeller is Mr. Earl Palmer, the drummer who played on nearly every single hit record by the great Little Richard. Once more, with the assistance of exceptional musicians, Sam Cooke has taken a well-worn concept, this time a passing dance craze, and turned it into something buoyant and enduring. I suppose the best evidence of his extraordinary skill is found here, in Sam Cooke's Live from the Harlem Square Club, one of the greatest live performances ever captured on tape, and is considered to be by many the greatest live album ever made. It's the sound of someone with the crowd in the palm of his hand, a pastor, freedom fighter, visionary, and soul stirrer. In Sam's brief time on the planet Earth, he offered us a way out and a way up so that all of us could get a brief glimpse at a higher power. Here's a man in evening clothes. 
There's plenty more after the break. You're listening to American 100. Hi listeners, Asher Griffith here, producer of all things Cicada Radio, and I'm here to talk about one of our partners, the Good Trouble Network. They've been featured on our show about service industry life, How Do You Like Your Eggs? And we wanted to make sure the listeners of American 100 knew what they were up to, too. The Good Trouble Network is a group of service industry professionals who, once a month, curate a box of delicious local fare and sell them to raise money for a good cause. They've raised money for Lyft, Louisiana, the OPPRC, the Innocence Project, and so on. This month, they're featuring a picnic box for the Descendants Project. Goodies yet to be determined. Follow them at Good Trouble Network on Insta. Learn more and starting May 10th, get your picnic box at GoodTroubleNetwork.org. That's at GoodTroubleNetwork on Insta and GoodTroubleNetwork.org. Thanks, y'all. Now back to the show. This week on American 100, we're going to be sticking with the theme of elevation. I'm going to talk about a few of my favorite cover songs that elevate the original. Like her contemporary, Roberta Flack, Candy Staten has made a career out of masterfully reinterpreting pop classics. She is famous for her rendition of Tammy Wynette's Stand By Your Man, and rightfully so. It's a pretty perfect cover. But the selection that I'm most impressed with is her cover of Roosevelt Jameson's That's How Strong My Love Is. Recorded first by O.V. Wright and then most famously by Otis Redding, That's How Strong My Love Is is the quintessential deep soul ballad of devotion. Every other version of this song stays in the major key, but Candy Staten, she sports a minor shift. And this, combined with her smoldering vocal, takes you into Staten's world and lets you in on her trials and tribulations. True love can often have its struggles, and Candy Staten's That's How Strong My Love Is illustrates that better than its predecessors. The song Without You has been called by Paul McCartney the best pop ballad of all time. But its original version performed by Badfinger is probably not the version Paul was referring to. One of Paul McCartney's favorite artists was the infinitely weird and talented Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson's version of this song is the definitive one. Whereas Badfinger's version consists of a bold, straightforward delivery of the opening verses, Nilsson gets it right. He's timid, unassuming. After all, what he's about to say is pretty heavy. 
And when the time is right, Harry Nelson lets loose with all the pain and sorrow he can muster. This classic ode to dependence on a lover is even more poignant when one considers Nilsson's ongoing dependency on drugs and alcohol. Nilsson's version of Without You is truly Nilsson's song. And when old records are unearthed by our descendants in the distant future, this is probably the version that they'll find. Covering the Beatles is tricky. For one, they are the most covered band of all time. Secondly, while the Beatles' arrangements are certainly sophisticated, the factor that gives them life is that they are dripping with character. So if you intend to reinterpret one of McCartney Lennon's compositions, it had better sound at least as engaging and as unique as its original. Wilson Pickett achieved this rare feat with his cover of Hey Jude, released just a few months after the original. Wilson Pickett teamed up with Dwayne Allman and the legendary Muscle Shoals session players to put their stamp on Paul's most beloved ballad. Together, they took McCartney's sing-along and turned it into something truly original. It's even recognized by many to be the beginning of the Southern rock genre, and their collaboration transformed the landscape of rock radio. If you haven't heard it until now, I'm going to hit the fader because I do not want to spoil the ending. Nina Simone comes up quite a bit on this show, and maybe it's because her music is like connective tissue. Her work has been simultaneously in the background and at the forefront of so many creative movements and schools of thought that it is absolutely essential to understanding American music in its entirety. Her rendition of Leonard Cohen's Suzanne is flawless. It marries Nina Simone's spoken word style with her sense of melody and tone so perfectly 
that it makes this version tower over the original recording. And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower and when he knew Leonard Cohen's words are his strong suit. His song lyrics are so rich with symbolism and meaning. Nina Simone makes sure to accentuate these powerful symbols, and her delivery makes Cohen's pseudo-biblical fable that much more tactile and alive. Almost human, he sank beneath your wisdom like a stone. All right, Rando, it's that time again. Time to randomly select the year and the two songs that we are going to talk about on the next episode of American 100. Commencing randomization. The year 1981 and the numbers 33 and 35. Which correlate with There's No Getting Over Me by Ronnie Millsap and Woman in Love by Barbara Streisand. American 100 is produced by myself, Micah McKee, along with Asher Griffith, and of course is presented by Cicada Radio. And for an episode that mentions Elevation so much, how could I not close with 1977's Elevation by the band Television? From all of us at American 100, thanks for listening, and always keep a song in your heart. This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die.